millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Rook Report podcast in association with Vaux Brewery. My name is Anthony Waterson and unfortunately we don't have much football or recent football to talk to you about but we do have an interview today and we have got Nick Barnes from BBC Radio Newcastle. Nick, lovely to see you again. How are you? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm carrying no symptoms of coronavirus. So we have got Anthony Gay here Sorry, as well. Sorry, yes, I'm still here. Yeah. It's all right. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm fine, yeah. I'm just not poorly, so that's a good start, isn't it? Are you well stocked up on your toilet roll and pasta? I bought nine this morning. Nine toilet rolls. I don't like pasta, so... That's why I've got a good. It sounds like a really weird DT project we did at school, wasn't it? You know, toilet roll pasta. Yeah, <laughs> get a, get a no- that? notice board and stick things to it. Yeah, it sounds actually that's the yeah. next activity for me children, I suppose. So what we'll do is we'll not be political. We'll start. We'll talk about football, I reckon, because we can talk fo- about football for ages. So, Nick, uh, like we say, well, welcome to the wonderful uh, studio that we're in here that Johnny Rob has kindly put on for us. Do you like it? I, I do. Actually, I mean, the fact that firstly we're on a sofa, which is a you know a big start, a big plus to start with, and it's it's all very comfortable. It's like it's, it's like sitting in someone's front room. Obviously, we don't have webcam, but it is a beautiful room full of lovely pictures, wonderful lighting. It's it's just fantastic. Um, so Nick, we're, we're really going to talk about you for an hour and a half, or whenever we kind of run out of things to talk about. Really, so obviously you are the voice of Sunderland DFC on the radio, whether you get your radio from all around the world to listen to Sunderland. They'll probably hear you and Gary Bennett trying to scream all over your commentary. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing that since 2003 for Sunderland, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 2003 when we started. Yeah, our first game together was a friendly at Kilmarnock. And that was meant to be the tester for, to, to see if Benno was, um, you know, suitable as a summarizer so something went wrong and um and he's been with with me ever since so yeah 2003-04 when uh, Mick McCarthy uh, when they obviously just gone down um and that was the start of our what's it 17 years yeah I mean that was obviously we'd gone down at the 19 point season and that was the real kind of first sort of transformation for Sunderland really because we had the likes of Kevin Phillips, Claudio Reina, Stefan Svart who'd all left replaced him with Liam Lawrence, Stephen Elliott and things like that, wasn't it? So it must have been like a real change, obviously, from you when you you, you obviously knew who Sunderland were before you came to us and then having to commentate on us trying again. And it was it was really a, a bit of a... It, we got the playoff final, didn't we? The playoff semi-final yeah. last season, got beat yeah. off Crystal Palace. Well, it was that uh, famous Jeff Whitley penalty. Yes, that was it. Yeah, the pass back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. The Neil Shipley foul. Which, to his credit, he, he he's happy to talk about these days. In fact, Jeff... Is, is is now doing a lot of stuff in the media, isn't he? Because of his past experiences with drugs and 
alcohol and um, and and he, with Sean and, and, play, and Sean Thornton. That well, there, there's another past problem. Um, so yeah, I mean that was a strange time, as you said. I mean I did know a bit. Obviously knew about Sunderland because I was at the time covering Newcastle, and that I did have to cover um, a handful of Sunderland games actually at one point because of sickness or whatever. So uh, one of them was the game at West Ham when Sunderland could have gone top of the Premier League, but for that late equaliser. Oh, that was on when on the match the day on the night when we we were literally joined top of the league, weren't yeah, we? And, and all the summarizer was talking about was Joe Cole. Yeah. <laughs> I so remember I remember that. that game doing that game. I did the um, I think I did a five nil against Derby at the Stadium of Light or at Pride Park. I mean, I, I did a handful of games, and I had to come down every so often to Cleden to interview Peter Reid and the players, mm-hmm. and um, and so I had a sort of foot in Sunderland, but uh, it was a you know it was a, it was a small. A small handprint at the time. That would have been round about the end of the Reed era. Was he was he all right with you? And stuff? He was he fine. Was known to be it, a little it, bit of a loud. He was fine. I, I didn't have any problems with Peter. Um, funnily enough, Bobby Saxton. Um, I, there's, there's sort of a strange history with me and Bobby Saxton because I'm an Exeter fan. That's where I grew up. And Bobby Saxton was the player manager at Exeter when I first started watching Exeter City. And Bobby took Exeter out of the then fourth division into the third division so I always Bobby was always a hero mm-hmm. for me and then when Roy Keane was had arrived at the club and early, early on when Bobby was still there we had a, a charity match we played behind closed doors uh, at the Academy of Light and Bobby and I I remember we were walking out from the dressing rooms to the pitch and we were just reminiscing about his extra team of 1976 and going through the whole team and all the players and I mean Bobby's great he's absolutely fantastic and um, bizarrely, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but Anthony Rutherford, who was at Radio Newcastle as the our Strictly Come Dancing correspondent, because Anthony is a dancer and he used to be on Strictly Come Dancing, Bobby's his uncle. And so so Anthony appears at Radio Newcastle and, and, and he starts chatting about Bobby Saxon. I said, well, how do you know Bobby? Oh, he's my uncle. Uh, but no, it, Bobby's fantastic. If you, if you talk to anybody involved in football, he was in a, in a way, he was the... He was the real sort of brains behind the Peter Reid, mm-hmm. Bobby Saxton combo. He was the coach. He was the one that really uh, pulled the strings, if you like. And, and Peter was the sort of front man. You know, he was the front of front of stage. He was the he was the guy that everyone um, you know saw as the manager and the frontispiece and the spoke. But Bobby was the one that really was, was the the players loved him. Um, they very, all swore very a lot as well, which was, he did swear a lot. Know, but that, you know, he was a product of his age, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. and in fairness to Bobby, I mean, you know, when he was a manager at Exeter, he left there, went to Plymouth and Blackburn. His record at both Blackburn and Plymouth is fantastic. I mean, he was very, very unlucky not to get either of them promoted yeah. to the then. Division one. It was probably a good thing that you did well at Exeter in case you were on the pitch and you were shouting Saxton out. If you did a really <laughs> bad job, you might have been given a decent tackle of him because he was quite a, a brute back in his day, wasn't oh, he? It, well, he, he, had the, he had the look of Steve Bruce about his yeah. face, didn't he? You know, he was a, yeah, he was a. So, but back in the day, though, I mean, when, you know, back in the 70s, I remember watching football in fourth division and Exeter had a player called Johnny Hoare actually went on to manage Plymouth, but he used to wear rugby boots, literally wore <laughs> the high ankle rugby boots to play football and you know the other, other players had quirks like that it's unheard of yeah. now when you look at those slim sort of thin leather boots that players wear and obviously the ball has changed weight and so on but back in the day it was 
It was, you know, that was real football. I reckon Lee Catmull probably would have rugby boots and one top. He would have, Lee would have worn that. Lee yeah. would have been Johnny Hoare. Yeah. It would have, it, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> he was the only one I've like, in the games last season, last season. But in fact, whenever he's played for Sunderland, who ever had black boots on, never changed it. Yeah. Just black, you know, with a little sort of Nike tick or something like that, you know, and fair play to him. So we've just, what you said there before, you started off with Newcastle. <laughs> well, so you I, started off with, I started off with Carlisle, funnily enough. I started off with Carlisle and... Uh, long story, but um, I was basically about to get banned at Carlisle and got a and managed to. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was Michael Knighton. People remember Michael Knighton. Um, so I knew that the end of the 97 98 season, I was thinking, right, next season I'm not going to be doing Carlisle United. Mm-hmm. And I got um, a move to London for four months with Ian Dennis, who's now the football correspondent for Five Live. So we were working for BBC Sport in London and he was then the Newcastle United commentator but he knew he was going to Leeds United mm-hmm. in the September when our attachment in London finished so he said well look that Newcastle job is 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 there it's it's yours really if you if you want it you know it's basically yours to have and um knowing that I wasn't going back to Carlisle um I I, I took the Newcastle job it's a bit of a stellar buy isn't it <laughs> well yes no and, yeah, Carlisle, yeah no it, it, I yes and no I mean <laughs> it was it was um well it was interesting because at that time Rude Hullet had just been appointed I mean literally I started the week Rude Hullet I started. loved Rude Hullet what a manager he was for Newcastle oh, he was a nightmare <laughs> and uh, so and then so I had a year of Rude Hullet and um then four years of Bobby Robson so you know at the time that I was there it, you know I couldn't have asked for more, you know, it was European football, yeah. top of the Premier League, Bobby Robson. Um, so it was, you know, it was it was an experience. I mean, it was fantastic. You do realise all mention of Newcastle will be... Censored. All going to be edited yeah. out, so <laughs> be, any reference back will be make no sense whatsoever. I will say Bobby Robson is a legend, though. Oh, yeah, a Sunderland fan, but he's from Saxon. Well, we could, we could spend an hour and a half talking about Bobby Robson, yeah. believe me. It, was not, it wasn't <laughs> all plain sailing with Bobby. Outstanding character. He, he was the character, I mean... Um, I mean, you know, there's not telling any secrets here. He was a grumpy old git. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there were two sides to him in a way. There was the, the side you didn't see on camera or hear on the radio. Uh, and then there's the side you heard on the radio and saw on the television cameras when he would just, as soon as the microphone was switched on, he was a different person altogether and you, you couldn't stop him talking. Uh, I mean, he was, a, you know, off off mic as well. He was a character. I mean, he was, you know, he was... Great value off the off the record, but he who's, was. Who's the best manager you've probably like worked alongside in the media? Well, funnily enough, Roy Keane is up. It's Roy Keane and Steve Bruce. Now I know Steve will probably uh, polarise opinion, but to, to work with Steve was was fantastic. I mean, he was uh, again. You see, because he was old school manager. Manager, you could you could phone him any time. He was brilliant with me. He always gave me the team on Saturday morning. Um, We'd see him at the game. We'd have twenty minutes chat before the game, and he'd tell you what's going on. He was very, very open. Um, just a genuine guy, you know. Yeah, he was I, very I, think, much, I think that comes across in very all much old school. Yeah, I suppose that's why he's um, denigrated a lot in media because a lot of people just think he's a normal guy. He's not really one of these elite it, football it, managers. It, yeah, it's interesting. I think yeah, perhaps that coming across like that makes him appear too. I don't know. How would you say domestic in in the sense that it's, it's like someone who's not really qualified to do the job, but actually he was very very thorough and you know it, it, underneath that sort of bumbling blustering sort of exterior, um, there, there was a very thorough and professional 
manager. I think uh, that, might, that might explain the sort of the, the burnout that the teams would have towards Christmas time, isn't it? I mean, because he's worked so hard, he might there, have just died off a bit. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I've had this d- discussion with a couple of people about how you always had that, you know, initial sort of bounce from yeah. Steve Bruce and, and maybe for 18 months you, you, you've got really good results and then he always seems to hit the wall. Now, yeah, it may be that. I, you don't, I don't know. I mean, I've never really put my finger on why it's happened and it's it seems to have happened. It is a significant pattern yeah. that happens in all of his uh, engagements. Yeah, it has. And I think it has it's pretty much happened every club he's been at. Now, you know, when Sheffield Wednesday, I was speaking to someone from Sheffield um, early this year and there seemed to be an impression that Sheffield Wednesday fans didn't like Steve Bruce and he left them in the lurch. But actually, when you talk to Wednesday fans, they loved him and the players loved him and, and, and they said he was he was really achieving things for yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. So had he stayed there, I suspect Sheffield Wednesday will be doing markedly better than they are now under Gary Monk. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, Steve's had a bad press. But oh, definitely. But going back to what you were saying before about working with him, brilliant. And Roy Keane was just gold dust. Yeah. I mean, just utterly professional. Again, you know, when the microphone was off, sometimes he could be very, very funny, dry sense of humour. Um, and he and he loved this sort of, I think he, he sort of really reveled in the image people had of him. Yeah. That he was this fearsome, brutal, you know, you don't, yeah, again, don't cross the line with yeah, Roy Keane. Again, comes across. And it's, I mean, away does. games were always the special because if you went to a press conference after an away game, you saw him playing this game with a local press who didn't know him of basically going into the press room, sitting there in silence, waiting for the first question. <laughs> Someone would then eventually be brave enough to ask it and he would bite back. <laughs> and his game was, let's see if they're brave enough to come back at me. And as often as not, they wouldn't. And so Louise, who was the press officer at the time, I mean, she's still at the club, but she's not the press officer now. She used to actually have to try and um, set up, say, Scott Wilson from the... Famously, she set Scott Wilson up at Sheffield Wednesday after they won 4 um, to ask the first questions to get the thing going because otherwise the whole press conference came to a halt after one question because the local press were too too terrified to ask any questions. <laughs> but then at Sheffield Wednesday, when it had been the game where Sunderland were comfortably winning, I think, 3-0, three, 3-2 three yeah. three or whatever, but was they conceded the, two late goals. Yeah, and, it was 4-2. And it ended 4-2. Yeah. Anyway, Roy was furious. I mean, it was absolutely furious. The dressing room was apparently, you know, it, it, you just didn't dare go in. So he eventually came out to do the press conference. Scott had to ask the first question. and It was a bit stuttered and a few people, and then it ended. But as Roy was leaving, Scott stood up and said, oh, oh by the way, before you go, uh, I forgot to ask any injuries. And Roy just stood, stared at him and went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that game. I was actually at that game. That was the uh, the debut of the na 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 Yes. Kino. It was yeah. at halftime. So we're winning 3 none at halftime. And that song came on. It was just, it was crazy. But he was, he was um, brilliant to deal with. He was a punch, pun, um, stickler for punctuality. He always mm. had his press conference at 8.45 on a, generally a Friday morning. So it was always 8.45. He'd always be on time, 30 seconds late. He expected everybody else to be on time. And his, when he first arrived, his, um, he did say to us, look, um, if you show me respect, I'll show you respect. I thought that's fine. And I'm you, more than happy to work within those restraints. But he was great. I mean, he, he was... Um, he was genuinely, uh, he, he was very good to interview. You had to be on, you know, what I liked in a way was you you had to be on your metal with him. You, you couldn't go down there and, and, and sort of uh, try and sort of, sort of guess your way through a press conference or, or an interview with not knowing what y- y- your stuff. 
because he would pull you up on things. And he would, I remember after the, um, the Derby defeat at St. James's Park, the 2-1, and there was a lot of, that, that week following the defeat, a lot of um, fans still angry about his tactics. And so I think it's beholden upon me on the, I think the Friday morning following to say to him, look, first question was, you know, there's still a lot of anger about the, the tactics you employed last weekend. And the first thing he said to me, just stared at me. He said, well, what were they? I thought, you know, <laughs> if I get this wrong, uh, you know, I'm for the high jump. And I sort of bumbled my way through and he went, yeah. And then he was fine. Absolutely Did you notice fine. with him, with, with Roy, because obviously he started off, got us promoted, fantastic. Uh, got us survived in the Premier League. And we were playing some good football under him. And then in that second season in the Premier League, it just seemed to just go. And he seemed to just go as well. I think I mean, he... he I often thought about this and there were, there were a couple of things. I think the first thing was his, his re recruitment that summer was poor. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he made the wrong decisions in take, bringing in Hadj Jouf, Jim Bonda and whoever it might have been. They were the wrong, it was the wrong people to bring into that dressing room. Oh, but what I'd do for them, no. <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the hindsight, but that particular summer's recruitment was poor. He, he made mistakes in, in who he brought in. And I think the other side of the, keen management situation was his number two was too weak. I mean, Tony Loughlin, you know, no doubt he's a good coach and good bloke. Um, and he's a, is he still at Burnley now? I think so. I think he is, yeah. Um, but, but he was the, the wrong person to have alongside Roy Keane. There were a lot King. of rumoured um, people before Tony Brian Kidd was, 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 was lined up. Steve McCann and, was... And Brian would, have been, Brian would have been ideal. Yeah. Brian would have been absolutely ideal because he's, he's experienced the older head and I think would have stood up to Roy about things and would have been able to say, look, no, don't do this. Don't he do famously that. stood up to Alex Ferguson, didn't he? Yeah, so, and, I so. think that, and I think that's what Roy Keane needed. I think in Tony had too much of a yes man, too much of a friend, too much of a... And he, you know, and Roy explains the reasons for Tony's appointments. It's someone he trusted at Nottingham mm -hmm. Forest. It's someone he trusted as a friend. Yeah. And I think that was the ultimately was the wrong reasons to have a number two. I mean, if you want a number two, you could have someone who's there to do a specific job. And sometimes that is to... And I think that was the Martin O'Neill thing at Sunderland didn't work because John Robertson didn't come with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was the main point. And I think it, that yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot in in that. I mean, Steve at Steve Bruce at Sunderland, Eric, Eric Black again, who was a very very good coach and was the right dynamic, I think, for the for the pairing. But Roy then it did unravel, and I think he started to um, it started to go wrong with him and um, Ellis Short. Yeah, and yeah. and we knew. I mean, the, the, where we the first sign of it was. Sunderland had a League Cup tie against Northampton. I was just about to and, say that. Was the... um, Roy <laughs> forgot the press conference. Yeah. He just forgot to turn Did up. He? And which was extraordinary. I mean, so it was, he, he flew in the next day um, from Cheshire and held a press conference, but it started to grow a beard. And we've always said ever since, you know, as soon as Roy starts growing a beard, something's not right. I had a long conversation at Old Trafford with uh, Graham Taylor, bless him. All about him. Half an hour conversation. Would you believe it? Half an hour conversation about Roy Keane's beard <laughs> with Graham Taylor. I mean, um, uh, but it was true. You know, we all felt that at that period, and then there was a period of sort of six weeks when it was starting to. You could sense it was unraveling. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, it did. And then when we played Bolton, we got beat off Bolton. 4-0. And, yeah, and he brought three defensive midfielders on, didn't he? Oh, and I, 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 there were just lots of little things and... It, it just it's it clearly wasn't working, and um, I think he he knew he sent in, in much the same way that Gus Poyet knew the end was nigh. Yeah, yeah. And Gus pressed all the wrong buttons basically because he was desperately trying to get sacked. In my mind, I mean, I think he, I think the whole it was interesting because when Gus Poyet 
that 4-0 defeat at home to Villa when he just sat on the bench and didn't make any changes mm. and then allowed Seb Larson to run on two minutes late into the second half. I saw Ella Short at West Ham a week or so later and he came across to Benno and I and said, I was determined, I was determined not to sack him because he, I think he knew that Gus was trying to yeah. play that game. But he said that 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 Seb Larson instant was the yeah. final straw. I'd he left it at halftime. He so said I, that I, was I, it. I can't remember that at So all. I couldn't, I couldn't not, sack him after that because I mean I remember when you, I mean Paolo Di Canio was you know slightly mad I'll take um, a buck now. but I, I mean someone <laughs> spoke to me a friend of mine in the game spoke to me about Gus because they worked with him he said you know that the Gus is going to show the same tendencies there's a Latin sort of temperament and he said he won't be as um, as manic as, as Paolo was but there will be that there's that Latin in him, and sure enough, Gus, it did that did start to. Yeah. Do you remember when he started kicking the balls on the pitch when we played Leeds when he was Dennis Wise's number two? We beat Leeds when I think it was under Roy King, and um, we'd knocked one of the fans, a ball had gone out, he'd one of the fans had threw the ball back on the pitch, they were trying to take a quick throw in, and then so the referee obviously stopped the game. Gus was kicking the balls all on the pitch, he did about three or four balls, he got sent off. Well, he was, <laughs> I mean, I like Gus, got on really well with yeah. him, and and I mean, I mean, I mean, Charlie Oatway, where do you go with there? I mean, what an extraordinary combination those two were. But it worked. I mean, it, you know, that again. I met Charlie Oatway in the, the Grey Horse and Pencher once. <laughs> it doesn't yes. surprise me. There, nobody was um, in a fit state. I don't no, Charlie was Charlie. I mean, extraordinary character. So we've spoke about the best managers. We're going to have to mention the worst. Have you got anyone you kind of like? No. Well, I mean, two managers. Well, one, Rude Hullet was one I just did. I just didn't warm to and he didn't like the press and it certainly wasn't ever going to end well. They um, done brilliantly with Shearer though. Well, you know, I mean, it's extraordinary that a whole thing with that Alan Shearer Root Hullet thing and then to see them, you know, years later together on the couch. Yeah, that's much baffling, day, isn't it? Yeah, it's but it's a little baffling. bit like the Roy Keane, Mick McCarthy, you know, all the handshakes at Wolves and everything else. Yeah, I mean, those two hate each other. Yeah. There's never going to be any. And this, you know, and now Mick will happily tell you, you know, yeah, that was just a show. It's a sham. But I, that, I still can't understand that Ruth Hullet, Alan Shearer, because Shearer clearly hated him. There yeah, was just no no love lost there, and you could tell by Shearer's demeanour in interviews, and certainly he was just not he was yeah. not going to um, give Hullet anything in terms of you know playing was because that like, he just didn't get on. When was that? 2000? 2000, 2001, yeah. yeah. And um, it was brilliant. So that was a really you? weird period, and so Ruth Hullet was not someone I warm to at all the other is David Moyes now the strange thing about David Moyes was um, when we weren't on the record he was a really nice guy but as soon as he switched the microphone on he became he, he really was Jekyll and Hyde I mean yeah. it was a, two totally different characters it's almost, it's almost like he had a split personality yeah I really? always thought he didn't want to be here for the year he it was, was. Weird. I just didn't think he wanted the job it was just something to get him back into football and then when obviously it was going well, I was going wrong from the second game of the season, according to him, wasn't it? Uh, relegation I didn't balance. feel like he wanted to be at Sunderland, yeah, which was he, a shame. Did he threaten to slap a woman as well? At some yes, point. he did. Oh, yes. There was the whole Vicky Sparks. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I was there and in, literally in the room when that happened, and his whole David Moyes' whole d denials about that afterwards. He still, even for all the apologies, and he still couldn't see what he'd done wrong. Yeah. He still felt he. I think he still felt he was the victim which was a really strange... I mean, you know, bless Vicky, she didn't want to take it anywhere. She didn't want to make a song and dance about it because she didn't want to become the story. I think yeah. Vicky didn't really want to put herself in the spotlight. 
So after it all happened on the Saturday, it, it didn't appear anywhere, it died a death and it had gone. It was only because the feed had been picked up by someone somewhere and they'd listened through it. And, Whoa, hang on a minute. And then it was, you know, you just can't get domain. away with it now, can you? At and, all? No, and, you know? and yeah, and it, it was it was wrong. I mean, it was David Moyes was demonstrating what he does to all reporters, not just female reporters. Mm -hmm. What he did with all reporters was basically try and frighten them into it was aggressive, it was passive aggressive, if you like. He would he He'd would, them he as would the stare enemy. at you when mm. you're doing interviews. He'd give you short answers. He would he would try and psych you out. And it was it was it was not very nice. It wasn't very you know, I it, it started to happen at Sunderland three or four months into his time there, because at the start he was on a real charm offensive. Yeah. Um but once the you know the results started to go against him and things were clearly going wrong, it it, it, it he started to go into that default. Um, aggressive mode, and, but clearly led the good things. Yeah, at West and I spoke to a lot of people about him who known him for years. I mean, I know reporters who knew him when he was at Preston and and at Everton, and and it follows a pattern. Yeah, it definitely followed a pattern. Yeah, he's not a very nice man. Yeah, well, I mean, you got, got him at West Ham right now. When the, the first thing he said when he joined there was, "I win things," and everybody was just like, yeah. I, "I beg your pardon." He's done well. He's well, won twice, it, hasn't he? So. It, well, he's. Just, I mean, I say he, he can be thoroughly charming and really nice guy and the, the, the bizarre thing was when he left we were at Chelsea and Phil Smith and I Phil Eckert son Lecker, we were waiting at the back of the stand because of course it was the day Chelsea won the championship so we we couldn't get out the front to do the interviews in the tunnel where we'd normally be so we had to wait out the back by the bus and um and we, we couldn't get the players and so we were hanging around waiting for a player and waiting for David Moyes but he came out eventually with Martin Bain and Martin Bain got sort of straight on the bus. But David Moyes came over and shook both our hands and said goodbye. And I just turned to Phil when he got on the bus and said, that's, he's off. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's him saying, I'm, I'm finished. But it was a really strange episode. And funnily enough, ironically, we'd been in exactly the same place out the back at Stamford Bridge when Dick Advocat left the first time. Um, and... You know, it was a really strange episode. It was almost like a deja vu because Dick was going through the same thing at Chelsea with us, sort of almost crying, shaking our hands yeah. and saying goodbye. And, you know, we thought that was going to be the last we saw of him. Um, so weird, you know, so how you have these relationships with managers and, and how they end sometimes. And I was quite taken aback by the, the David Moyes because I didn't think, I thought he had been like Martin Bain straight down the steps yeah. on the bus. Yeah. Yeah, but I actually I'll give him his due. He was, you know, to, to come across and he just treated as a and job. say goodbye. Yeah, he it was, was, as part of his work. Yeah, really, didn't he? Was, and then when he was outside of that, that was it was a different yeah. person. I mean, you probably obviously you've seen your comes and goings from managers. Has there been any any of them you've felt sorry for who actually got the sack? You know, um, like recent one, maybe like Jack Ross this season, who wasn't really doing badly. No, I, I was. yeah, yeah there, wasn't doing you know, well, but um, we haven't improved, have we? So, uh, well, Simon Grayson's another one. I yeah, felt, sorry, I think for, we mentioned yeah. that the first in the, uh, the manner in which season. it ended that night at Bolton was brutal yeah. in a way. I mean, you know, you drawn three three, you, you're actually not in an awful position, and I know things weren't right. Things clearly weren't going well. I think that game at Ipswich, I, I said that night, I felt that was a team that was going to be relegated because it was that you, you had this intuition that it was in bits, something was yeah. gone, something gone horribly wrong and was going horribly wrong. So I'd, in a way, I mean, and um, when we were at Preston, we, Benno and I were on Five Live and Mark Chapman was on with Ian Dennis and Mark said to me in the interview, do you think 
Simon Grayson's under pressure? And I said, well, I think I do, I do yes, because I think things aren't going right. Things are going wrong here. And Ian Dennis, who knows Simon Grayson very well, chipped in and said, no, no, I can tell you, I can assure you that Simon's not under pressure. And I thought that day, I thought, no, I think, look, not wishing to blow my own trumpet, I'm on the inside here because yeah, I see yeah. Simon every week. We see the games. Something's not right. Yeah. You could see it on the documentary. Yeah, document, and I, yeah. I, yeah, and I think with hindsight, yes, the decision was was probably right. I just think it was the manner in which it was handled wasn't good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, going back to that original question about, you know, do you feel sorry for managers? Yes, you do, because you have a working relationship with them. And especially if, you've ha if you have got on with them, um, yeah, you do feel slightly, you know, it's a shame. David Moyes and Rude Hullet, no, I didn't, because mm -hmm. I felt they were difficult relationships. They were difficult managers. But all the other managers, all of them, even Paolo Di Canio, um, I never had a, an issue with them and a problem with them. So you do feel, you know, you, you, you in a way, because the nature of the job is you do get to know them pretty well. I mean, all as well as you can, because they generally sat after three months. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it, it was great when you have a relationship with, say, someone like Steve Bruce who was there two years, two and a half years, mm -hmm. because you did genuinely build up a relationship yeah. with them. Uh, and Roy, even Roy, you know, the, the time he was there. Um, and, and so you are sorry to see them go because the other side of it being quite selfish is, you know, you've got to start again. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. A, you go through that period of wondering who it's going to be and will you get on with them? And then you've got to start this whole process again of getting to know the manager and getting them to trust you, getting them to, you know, um, trust you enough to start telling you stuff off the record and, and so on. And that takes, you know, it takes time to build those relationships up and prove to them that you're not betraying those confidences and, and at the same time, being objective and trying to, you walk a very fine line. You know, one of the criticisms we often get is we don't ask the tough questions, but they're not easy to ask sometimes because you know you can a manager can sometimes feel betrayed if you if you're suddenly sticking the knife in. And I think a prime example of that is the Phil Parkinson episode before Christmas, when everyone, you know, with the way the results are going, quite rightly had every right to judge what was happening on the pitch. But it's very difficult to stick the knife into the manager then because at the back of your mind, you're thinking through what's going to happen. And there was a very fair chance he wasn't going to get sacked because mm. Stuart Donald, even though he had the record at Eastleigh of sacking managers, I don't think he had the money or the wherewithal or, or had the yeah, appetite. I don't think he had any interest in no, sacking. No, so I thought, well, you've got to be very, very careful here. And sure enough, it turned. Um, okay, it's turned around again now and we've got to see what happens with all this business. But... So you, you, you've you got to be very conscious of relationships that you're building with managers and, yeah. and players. Um, and and so it's not as straightforward sometimes as, you know, tell the manager he's got to do this or tell him when's he going to get sacked or when's he going to walk. Uh, it, does, like, it just doesn't work like that. On that note, is there anything you think you've ever said sort of on in, in, the, in the media that's led to a significant decision at Sunderland? <sighs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be so bold as to say... I've said or done anything that's led to a decision, but I think there's something that's the sort of sort of snowballed into something. So, say you've said something, and all the fans have went, "Oh, actually, spot on." Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know off the top of my head, but I think collectively in in the, the sort of local media, we probably have. I yeah. think because you know, I think you know, like us or loathe us, people do listen and read local media, and and I think we are um, we do form opinions and judgments and we are opinion formers and makers i suppose so i suppose inevitably there i think there are certain times um 
here's here's an example, and I don't think I'm betraying any confidences because the person involved, Aidan McGeady, was quite sort of um, he really wanted his side of the story told and and uh, spoken to me about you know a moment he 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 was sort of angry that everything was slanted against him and portraying him as the bad guy and making him out to be the the culprit in everything that happened and being ostracized Mm. um and i thought when i had the long conversation with him i thought you know he's got a he's got a point here because we uh, had all been really putting out phil parkinson's side of the story and because aiden mcgee is still under contract to the club he couldn't talk and couldn't put his side out there so i think you know sometimes we can get sucked in a little bit by the relationships we have with the managers and I think that McGeady instance was a good good example of yeah. that. And I was able then, when Aidan had spoken to the South London Press, which was my sort of, that was the the gateway for me to be able to talk about it. Because I say, look, he's now spoken to the press, and so I think it's I think it's only fair that we also put Aidan McGeady's side of the story out here. And there are you know the two sides of the story. Now whether that has changed people's opinion of Aidan McGeady in the last month, I don't know. But I think it's an example of where, how you can change opinion and it's funny enough today I've had a conversation with um, John Coleman who works for the Cumberland News in Carlisle about Carlisle United's 25th um, anniversary of going to Wembley for the first time and at the end of the interview said um, he said how do you feel that Carlisle fans still see you as a big part of that day and and Carlisle being the voice of Carlisle and how they accept you and what do you think of that I said to be honest you know I'm flattered by it and quite humbled by it but I think it comes back to the point you make is as much as we don't think sometimes with anybody's listening to us or actually hangs on every word or whatever, sometimes people do. Yeah. And, and you know, I think we, we therefore have a responsibility incumbent on us to be responsible with what we say. Even even like now where you've got like social media and things where your your voice and, is pretty much over every And, and clip, anything, clip the slightest word can be picked up. Yeah. The slightest sentence can be picked up and taken out of context and misconstrued. Yeah. And you, sometimes you make a glib throwaway comment in uh, in a commentary and it's, all of a sudden that can come back to... <laughs> you know, I, I'm, the other week at Bristol Rovers, I'd, I'd said in the commentary, this is a real, you know, this was potentially a real banana skin. Oof, that blew up into something. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, it, it was a throwaway it, comment merely to say for all the, you know, suddenly lost 2-0, really, as Benno said right at the start, don't get sucked in by Bristol Rovers being the worst team in the league at the minute. Mm-hmm. These are the games that, that really do come back to bite you on the bum. Um, so it was a sort of comment that was meant to be framed within that yeah. context, but my, you know, one one sentence and it can be. I think in League One, though, every game's a banana skin for me and, and we've we've kind of gone worse and the list should be better than every team in League One, but we're not. So well, it's true, but because, I mean, you know, this is one thing that Jack Ross was always trying to get across and, never probably re- never really did I think Phil Parkinson maybe has got it across better than Jack did people forget this is a league one team these yeah. are league one players if and they, not they've worse. got a, a, yeah if not worse and I think there's a lot to be said for how you know if you if you were ultra critical of the individuals in the Sunderland team at the minute you you could pick up say a max power and say well why did he never get beyond a certain point yeah. at Wigan why were Wigan so willing to let him go and so on. So you can you can analyse each individual, and actually, when it comes down to it, it's it's a um, one of the can't remember which league one manager it was recently said. Look, the bottom line is this Sunderland team is no better. 
than every other team in League One. Yeah, I think it was Steve it, Evans, the Gillingham manager. It might have been Steve Evans. Because was, it was just after Joey Barton was doing the whole... And yeah, I think it was around yeah. that time. I think Joey Barton had made a comment about it. You know, and, and you know, if you're honest, it, it isn't. It, it You know, what it lacks is clearly a goal scorer. What it lacks is um, someone in midfield that's really managed to take the game by the... Scruff of the neck. Although Maguire has been, started uh, doing yeah. that, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, but he, the flaw in Maguire is he does it for seven games and yeah, has this in yeah, four. Yeah. And then people say, well, why have you dropped Maguire? Well, because you have to, because it's the only way you're going to get Maguire back up to form. This, he's out yeah. the, He's out for three or four matches, comes back, plays like, you know, Wonder Man again. Yeah. And then people say, well, hey, why did you drop him? But you have to, because it's the only way you can get any sort, any sort of consistency out of, out of Maguire. I, can't, so, I kind of... Why, why he's been playing at Berry? Yeah. Why he's been playing... At Oxford. At Oxford yeah. in the lower leagues. Because yeah. that's what these players are fundamentally flawed. I, I mean, I, I feel for Parkinson. It seems that he's tried everything up front now. We've got that Semenio Lard. Yeah, and, seems to... and, I, and I think, I mean, I want, you know, we're straying now into the sort of Phil Parkinson territory and what, what's happening now. If I have one criticism, and it's and this is just opinion, because Marco Gabbiadini and I had a sort of um, debate about this, I I've just felt that if you look at the other managers in League One, they don't rigidly play um, three four three week in week out and never change it, or four four two and never change it. They will, they will, they, they do swap it around. Yeah. They do, and I think, that, I think, yeah, and I think what has happened with Sunderland is managers have just bought. They've just realised what Sunderland do and know how to negate it because Sunderland aren't doing anything to change it yeah. and and have the managers second guessing. Now that's largely, I think, because Phil's struck on an eleven that works, a system that works, and he's almost too—I mean, he's too conservative and too frightened to change it in case he changes it. I think goes that's, badly that's why wrong. we lost the three. It's because so the I think, games that we played over the yeah, and I think um, maybe he should have been a bit more daring with the lineup. Maybe he perhaps should have brought in Semenyo, who's an out-and-out striker. Bristol City see him as an out-and-out striker, yeah. not as a wide player, which is where he's been playing left, left side. So yeah, and I think so. You know, it's tinkering like that, although Marco argued that, no, you can rigidly play the same formation, match in, match out, because that's what they did in 1987-88, never changed it. And, and, but it was 4-4-2, wasn't it? That's... Yeah, and it cruised through on, you know, that formation. So, look, it's a debate. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right, and, and they have better players, and I think that's a flaw of this team. He's having to, he's, he's Phil Parkinson's identified the strengths and weaknesses of the team, and, you know, and, and, Denver Hume, yeah, clearly has weaknesses, big weaknesses. But I think there's a feeling from Phil that Declan John isn't proving enough on the training pitch that he's any better. Yeah. And he knows what Denver's going to give you, especially at home. But, you know, we could debate long and hard about the wares and wherefores of this team. The, the, the nub of it comes whenever this season ends as to whether they are in the top two or even in the playoffs now. Do you think we will get promoted? On last question on the on the recent team, do you think we'll go... <sighs> A month ago, I said yes. But now, on the back of the Bristol Rovers game and them dropping out of the playoffs, I'm, I'm not so sure because I just I worry that the teams above them have got better momentum um, than Sunderland have. And for the best one in the world, Sunderland might go on and win the final eight games of the season or nine games or whatever it is and still miss out yeah. because Peterborough, Oxford, Portsmouth all keep winning. Yeah, I just don't think we've got enough home games left. I think going away, like when we went to Bristol Rovers midweek, we've gone down there and got turned over. We've done it. Well, I worry it's someone like AFC Wimbledon yeah. on the same basis of Bristol Rovers. 
because everyone will think, oh, Wimbledon. But, but it's Wimbledon, their cup final, isn't but it? It's, and, yeah. and for Wimbledon, the, the way they play their football, it's yeah. interesting that Gillingham, on that run they've just had, the two games they lost that bookended that run were AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. So, well, spoilers, you know, the spoilers. The so, you know, off. that's what they will do. And I think that's the sort of game yeah. that Sunderland will struggle to deal with because it will be physical. And Sunderland, is, they're not a physical team. No. So we'll we'll go on to, we did the old managers you got on with. Was there ever a player that when you got sent to the academy, like, oh, I can't wait to interview him? Oh, Bolo Zenden, yeah. 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 <laughs> but Bolo, I loved, uh, bizarrely, Fabio Barini as well, but for, just because he was a clown. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in the nicest sense of the word, um, Fabio was just such a funny guy because his in the, uh, stories like his, I heard that, he, I, I said it to him, is it true your mother sends you food parcels? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, because the food here is, yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. You could do one of them if you've got um, toilet roll. <laughs> so he he was he was great to do because because you could wind him up in that sense. Bolo was just um, really bright, mm-hmm. a really nice guy to interview, very very intelligent, um, and re- I just really enjoyed. Uh, one of the funniest actually was Nicholas Bentner of all people, because Nicholas actually was quite a nice guy. I mean, I mean clearly he's he's. He lives in another world when it comes to social um, nuances and, and and how he conducts himself. But I really liked him at some of them. And, and he was and he he um, there was an interview one day and I was talking to him and and I sort of said to him, you know, Nicholas, you are for want of a better word. I've had one of those moments where I sort of brain freeze and I couldn't think of the word I was looking for. So I said, you are for want of a better word. And there's a moment of silence. I said, arrogant. And he just stared at me, and the, I could see James Hunter and Graham Anderson, the others going. <laughs> and and um, Nicholas said, "Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you have to be. You have to be as a striker. That's the way. You know, there's no point in being." And he it's genuinely, he was great to interview. He was a really good. He was a really good talker. And Nicholas Bentner, yeah, Bolo Zenden. Um, you didn't teach him that dance, did you? <laughs> no, no. But he was. You, you know, you always you always went down, and there were certain players. When you went down to the academy to interview, you know, some weeks you breathe a sigh of relief, others you go, <laughs> you know. So, um, I, I'm, I'm, but there were others. There were the dependables, like you know, you always had the player that was wheeled out after a defeat. And yeah. uh, oh, Max Power now, wasn't it? Well, Max said the other week. He says you only when you talk to me when we lose. And, <laughs> and funny enough, the other the, the other player that's been wheeled out now on a regular basis, and we're joking with him about it, is Jordan Willis. But again, Jordan's a lovely guy, and and um, he's got his. I think he's got easy to interview because I think he's a bit more relaxed with us now but yeah the, the the player that in the Premier League years who got wheeled out consistently when things went horribly wrong was Phil Bardsley and and all credit to Phil for, for coming out and talking because he would always do it and and I you know and I, I I do commend players in that situation because the last thing any player wants to do after defeat is talk yeah. um Grant Leppard was another Grant would come out and um be really honest and, and and not and Seb Larson another Seb Larson would come out and be brutally honest about he wouldn't try and you know um you point out as to eyes. why they always did that like you said I always remember when we were really poor in the last couple of years of of our Premier League era and it was always Bardsley bless him and I always felt sorry for him and it's like yeah, why I, I think part of it is because whoever the press officer is knows that they are dependable and they'll yeah. do it and you, you could have gone to one of the other players and they would just not do it. And yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because recently we... we oh God, I think I've spoken to Chris McGuire once, but I think it's because, you know, they're scared of him. They're scared to ask him. And mm-hmm. 
um, because he'll just knock them back and say, no, I'm not doing that. And yeah. um, I mean, it would be different but, if they're given but, it but, feel the, like... The, you know, that's different characters for different occasions. Yeah, and, if, if they're just out to someone like Tom Flanagan, who was, who was susceptible uh, to a bit uh, of uh, criticism. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> but Tom's good, actually. When Tom comes out and talks, he's very, very good. Yeah, I mean, he, he got some... Yeah. Uh, some some horrible criticism on, yeah. on the old social medias. And Lincoln, especially, I think he got someone that had a go at him at the ground. That was they? horrific, wasn't it? Oh, just, just. I mean, it's there's, there's ways and means to behave, isn't it? Yeah, there? and it's, I think yeah, right. I, you know, I think you have to give credit to some of those players that when they come out and they are honest, and that, that you know they they should be given more um, praise because they often get criticised, and when things are going wrong, there's a tendency sometimes for some fans to say, "Well, I don't want to hear what the, the players got to yeah. say for themselves. They're just you know going to come out with it." And then the current climate, they, it's some only football, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> some of them don't. Some of them do speak very honestly. I mean, another, I'll, I'll, I'll give Aid McGeady credit where credit's due for that as well. He's, he was, last season he was very honest about things um, when he won the Player of the Year. Do and you know he, he's a, he's a player that won't hide behind you know sort of cliches and and towing the party line. Yeah. And 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 there are players like that. And when you do get to speak to them, you know. You, yeah. It's it's not often, but it, you know you do appreciate that you know that they are the players that are good, and they, you know they're not all sort of out of the same. So do you have a do you have a, like a favourite player from sort of your era that have been here? Um, Bolo would be up there. I mean, I got on really well with Bolo, and, I, and seen him since with him when he was at Chelsea. He was an up. outstanding footballer. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. brilliant. He was a brilliant. I mean, like he spoke about four or five languages. He. Um, I think he did all his own contract negotiations because he's, he's he's got a law degree. Or he certainly, if he's not got a law degree, he's he's well versed in the law. Um, and I, you know, after he'd left, he, when Chelsea came up and when we were down at Stamford Bridge, he made a point of coming over and having a conversation. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, some gentlemen in the game. Yeah, there are, you're, there are. I mean, you know, you, um, you know, Phil Bardsley would always come across and say hello, and so you appreciate those because you felt at the time you you, you were probably you know not on their radar because you'd maybe see them once in a blue moon of you know after a game walking past you in the tunnel or you interview them every six weeks or whatever so you know it's quite nice when you often when you see players after they've left the club and you bump into them again how sort of warm they are sometimes and remember things that you never even think they'd remember and yeah. chat about um but i think that's the defense mechanism in players when they're at the, at the football club to in, try and be sort of self-protecting, if you but like. But in, in football, in terms, uh, was there ever a player that we we had where you thought, oh, I can't wait to see him again next week? You know, there's, there's literally like... Well, there, were, there, there was a period when, I mean, it was when Steve Bruce were there and you had Danny Welbeck. Oh, and amazing, wasn't it? Uh, that Kieran team, Darren Richardson. Bent, Welbeck, Bentner, Kieran Richardson and, and so on. It was a really good years. team and, and there were a lot of individuals in that. And I always got on well with Anton Ferdinand, of all people, funnily enough. Um... <laughs> Who who was you know good to talk to, um, and you know that you you did actually go through a spell really enjoying watching the football and they were winning games and they were you know there was a buzz about the place. It was just exciting, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, was, yeah. and even the Fulham game where Kieran Richardson done anything but score when but they did, both well, the ball. The, the, the ridiculous, yeah, that's right. I mean, the ridiculous thing with Kieran Richardson was after he scored that free kick against Newcastle, 
he tried to he tried to do it with every single free yeah. kick <laughs> forever after. I mean, and you to be thought, fair, it's fair enough. Just stop, you know, yeah. it's just not happening for you. It's just not you're just not gonna do it again. Oh, it was yeah. like Daryl Murphy scored that one wonder goal against Wigan. And <laughs> every game after that he tried it again and it was I like talk you know, about that game. I broke my leg two days beforehand oh. playing football and I missed it. Oh, <laughs> that was a goal. I mean, <laughs> was Speaking a of screamer. like sort of goals, have you got your favourite goal? I'm gonna guess to four against well, Newcastle. Well. There's, there's there's a few there were a few. I mean there was Defoe's against Newcastle. Okay. There was um, Carlos Edwards. Yeah, yeah. Two. The one oh, at Southampton. Oh, yeah. Which was then bettered by the one against Burnley, Burnley just a couple yeah. of weeks later. But both those goals were yeah. unbelievable strikes. Bolo's ending against Tottenham. Well, the, the sort um, of sidekick. Side, yeah, thing. just that was it's incredible. Beautiful. We did a poll uh, over Christmas about the greatest score scored, Steam Light, and I did pick that one. I love oh, that, that was How just that was sublime. I mean, genuine it was. You know, the word sublime's overused mm. sometimes. But it was that really was sublime. The thing that of was, beauty was a yeah. technical Fantastic. beauty. Fantastic. Um, so I think those sort of handful of goals. Um, David Vaughan's goal at Newcastle. Oh yeah. yes. Um, yeah. So always remember that. Just and I think, well, and one near miss, which actually, had it gone in, would have been a wonder strike. Stephen Elliott's when it hit the bar at St. James. Oh, yeah. Three, two, two. Two. yeah. And had that gone in, you know, it would have been a different result, I think. Well, I, I don't think they'd have lost the game. I thought but, you were going but, to see a Kevin Ball's sliding tackle. Well, that was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, even now, when, he, when well. Kevin tells that story and we've heard it, a thousand times it's still funny yes. it's it, you know he, he still tells it well and that <laughs> that wasn't extra I mean but there have been a couple of moments like that over the years and you think my god you know it's just extraordinary how these things didn't didn't go in and yeah. I, mean, I mean that comes back to even things like Craig Gordon's save in that Bolton game yeah, yeah. that was yeah. unbelievable oh, yeah, the, 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 I mean I think yeah. you know now you can watch it and you don't quite you can't really see why it was so fantastic you know it's a great save but at the time, in real time, that save is probably one. It, it, it's up there with Jimmy's in the cup yeah. final. It's up there with the the World Cup save, you know, in Brazil. Do you remember Mark Pooms against Millwall? That was quite similar, and that was really like downgraded. It, it was an absolutely tremendous save. And yeah, he tipped and down under the bar. These as well. get lost, I think, mm-hmm. sometimes. But they that they were moments really worthy of. Well, that is. I remember when we when away. we signed Craig Gordon. I thought this is it. We've we've made it now. This is us. Yeah. Uh, but Damn Jermaine Defoe. 15 years later. <laughs> yeah, strange character, Craig. I mean, he was very quiet. Uh, he was a very thoughtful keeper. Um, kept himself very much to himself. And I think, clearly, when he went back to Scotland and he had the injury problems and everything else, and he, yeah. he dropped out of the game. All Jermaine Defoe's fault. Just yeah, to well, and then, yeah. yeah, and then came back into the game now and is you know, playing at the top level again. But clearly, he was a, he was a, he was a class keeper. But... Um, it's just something about goalkeepers, isn't it? And yeah, they yeah. do. I, was, I remember uh, meeting Tommy Myra and Mark Poom. Um, I was uh, Mark was work, a lovely guy. Yeah. Used to work at the academy. Mark Poom would do anything for yeah, anybody. Yeah, he was a, be- a really nice guy. He was a, again really down to earth and. But I mean, the, genuinely the, the, honest. The two of I mean, them the, were f- the Mark Poom goal, you know, at Derby. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So you it's couldn't make it up stuff. sometimes. But uh, like, Poom, uh, yeah. there's loads of times where just, uh, the just the two of them would just be walking around uh, dishing out things to people. They, Pairs of gloves with their names on and stuff. Right, it's just they were a different class, of but they were both a player. bit mental but, as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's strange because I think um, the conversation we've often had at the academy over the years is the foreign players, as often as not, are the ones that you really warm to because yeah. they um, that they, they have a, a I think a different perception of the press, but they also have nine times out of ten they used to speak very very good English, 
and most of them are very eccentric and, as well. And, and yeah, and slightly, you know, there was like Barini, there was a slight sort of madness about them. Um, but they were they were they, they were actually very good to interview. And they because they they I think they on, on the continent it's probably seen as very much a part of the job and it's yeah. something that you do do um and you don't have any complaints about it because that's just part and parcel whereas i think in this country players grow up thinking it's a chore and they and they don't want to do it and um whereas the, the foreign players don't seem to see it that way yeah the other foreign players look at the premier league and think that's what i want to do that's what i want to be yeah. and the, the, the build-up they get the premier league and think oh, i'm going to do all of this media stuff because that's what i've seen eric Cantona do and that's what yeah. i've seen well, all of these do they were great i mean john mensah was case in point what a you know lovely lovely guy and he got on really well with us in the sort of local media and James Hunter from the, from the Chronicle um, admired his pair of slippers one day. He came in these sort of slippers and he'd brought them back from Ghana with him. And, and anyway, when John Mensah came back from Ghana one time, he bought James a pair of slippers back. <laughs> and it's a sort of, that's the sort of thing that, you know, you wouldn't, you don't tend to hear about that. Yeah. And um, I remember so, I had to go and do, uh, Asamoah Jean had to do a, an interview for the world service, but I had, I had to go and set it all up and basically put the microphone in front of him at his place in Darris hall. And, you know, couldn't be more welcoming, come in, come in. And I'd heard this rumor that he had a fridge full of Guinness and it was true. <laughs> and, um, so you think as perverse is this, but his, his brother was there and a couple of mates and it, it was really down to earth. And you just see another, yeah, because everyone so, thought that Asamoah John you know? was this absolutely eccentric, crazy it, it, sort of king. He was, like just, he was, a, he was a nice guy. And, um, and you do see the other side of them sometimes. You see the other side of those. Look, the, don't get me wrong. In the Premier League, they do lead um, charm lives, for want of a better word, a phrase. But um, and, and you know, inevitably they do because they've got they earn a massive amount of money. Yeah. They, they they live in big houses and they drive big cars. So you know, with the best one in the world, they they these are you know they're separate lives. That you know our our paths cross in a football stadium. Yeah. In, but, a, in a tunnel not, or in yeah. a, you know, the train. Not in the metro centre. And not in the metro. <laughs> well, I did bump into John McLaughlin in Marks and Spencer recently. Um, oh, but then we're down at League One level now. So that's where League One players, yeah. you know, shop. The wrong with Marks and Spencer's. So, yeah, you know, that you, you know, you, know you, you were never going to bump into Jermaine Defoe's and Asmar Jean's in I bumped into George and Bjorkland in Safeway in Team Valley once. Yes, that's that's my claim. I think the nearest anyway. I might have got Barini in Waitrose or something, but, that, I've, but I've never met. I've barely, barely met them. Like I, I never know what's them. Like <laughs> until you like walk past. Well, I think I, I mean the players do. I think one thing about the players in the Premier League, Tommy. I mean, yeah, a lot of them did live in Newcastle because they could retain some anonymity there. Yeah, yeah. and so they would go out. And I mean, I yeah, I Steve Malbrunk ran away from me in Phoenix once <laughs> and, and um, because Steed always was, Steed was like Steed was terrified of interviews he obviously hated he obviously hated doing interviews and I think he saw me there and thought my god there must be a plant I mean, is, he going to, yeah. is he trying to interview me here now and I saw this, <laughs> this frightened look on Steed's face and he scurried away but um, so yeah they're, they're, you know, when I say you don't see the players in shops you do but it tends to be away from where they think they're going to be recognised so they, they retain some sort of anonymity Nostalgia's a killer, isn't it? There was another lovely guy um, talking about players. He used to love interviewing. Vito was fantastic. Really, really nice guy. Um, again, you know, he lived in Newcastle and Jesmond, I think, and, and he lived there because he could, him and his wife could retain 
that anonymity and, yeah. and, and do normal things as well, isn't it? Because yeah. Vito yeah. is normal. Vito mm. is a normal yeah. guy yeah. In, in many ways. But um, on the other side, we had Gibral CC trying to make himself as yeah, famous Gibral as possible. Strange, yeah. Well, the Lord of the Manor, isn't he? He's a yeah. Lord, isn't he? But Vito is a funny story. With Vito, when when I mean, I may remember, you know, when the um, Cup semi, League Cup semi final at Old Trafford. After that semi final, Vito was dragged out by the um, drugs agency to do the drugs test. But he he doesn't um, he doesn't drink. And he couldn't go. So they thought the only way they're going to get Vito to go to the loo in the time, you know, to hopefully get back to Sunderland by tomorrow morning is if we give him a couple of drinks. <laughs> and he was absolutely hammered. Absolutely <laughs> hammered. And he was meant to be doing the post-match interview, but he was too drunk. And he could, it, it, just, it just completely went to his head. Bless him. Yeah. <laughs> so what we'll, Legend. What we'll go on to now is, um, obviously, the two things I would say what you, you're known for, about the commentary, is either the tweet... Beautiful, by the way, wearing an absolutely superb jacket. And you've also bought one of the matchbooks, which, to be fair, me and Anthony have had a look at before. It is Obsessed. as nice in person as what it looks like on, on the social medias and everything like that. It's so neat. It's so eloquent. First of all, hear the tweed. Has that always been your kind of thing? Just been since you were young? Um, prob- I've always wore nice jackets to work. And I actually then thought I'd, you know, I bought a couple of Harris tweed jackets and just loved them i just mm-hmm. thought i mean what i love about harris tweed is it's it's pure i like i mean you know i like a whiskey i like a harris tweed i like because i, I like i like the integrity of the the product if you like whiskey it's water it's malt and it's basically still made through the you know processes which are several hundred years old and it's fairly pure in it's in in essence tweed is the same it's harris tweed is still made on the islands by the islanders on looms, and it, it you know it's it, you couldn't in one sense get a more a product with more integrity than a Harris tweed jacket. Yeah. So I love the if you like the integrity of wearing it, but I actually like it because it's smart. It looks you yeah. know, fairly smart casual if you like. Um, problem is, of course, over the years now. If I go anywhere and I'm not wearing a tweed jacket and someone recognises me, I get hammered. I remember <laughs> because the they always accept the yeah. that I'm wearing tweed? tweed. Can you remember the Portsmouth pod, which we three did together alongside with Josh, and you came in a denim, and I was so good. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so yeah, it's become a um, yeah. I'm conscious of the fact that people, I think, expect to see me in in tweed, and I, look, fine, I don't mind because I like wearing it, and just the odd occasion if it is going to be really cold weather or wet, then yeah, I love to be try and be practical and sensible mm-hmm. and so but even then i'll often wear the tweed jacket underneath, underneath yeah, yeah, yeah. A, another jacket yeah is that, so that's sort of how that um has, has, has come about yeah, over the basically years really. like it yeah <laughs> yeah so and also the match boot like i say you know we've we've both had a, a, a little look at it and it's so neat so eloquent and stuff and basically what kind of start was that just something when you first went to the company i thought i'm going to do that just no to get... it's, it's funny because that in a way i mean i mentioned that you know earlier when I first started out at Carlisle, um, I would just do notes on a page, a piece of paper, and I'm, and I've never kept them. And you know, to my regret, I never kept those notes of the Carlisle games. But what I did keep was a scrapbook. So I've got scrapbooks from Carlisle United with all the newspaper cut. Every game I cut out the newspaper report, kept all my press passes, um, the tables and everything. So I kept meticulous scrapbooks of Carlisle through the seasons I covered them, and then started using a notebook. And in the in, in the notebook, started actually keeping the the matches as in note form, and that sort of just stated into the format I tend to use 
now but again still quite clumsy because sometimes i would i would type out the 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 notes on the computer and print it out and stick it in the book and Mm -hmm. um and that's what i did at newcastle for many years but then i started doing the handwritten notes um and it's gradually over the years has developed morphed into what it is now yeah i mean to me the matchbook is sort of anti-digital perfection it's uh, it's uh, personally it's something that yeah. I've, I mean I used to make match just while I was at university I'd do match reports and things and just I couldn't get anywhere anywhere near. Well, it's, sort of, it, uh, I mean, it's become a sort of you know um, source of pride for me because I actually got my own pride in doing it now and I like to keep it to a certain yeah. it's a type standard. Of thing would... but it's also an archive for me. I actually actually it's a useful reference if you like to, to go back mm-hmm. to and. Um, you know, when You've I'm doing notes. for sale as well, haven't you? You've uh, I've put, a couple of we had them done as a, a match box, which wasn't. Mm. It, I was pleased they did it, but it wasn't what I really like. Is it, it, it'd be published in book form. Yeah, you should probably yeah. write the and book that's and what we're your thinking. Yeah, and the, yeah, and, and and not that I'm telling you what to do, but get it done. <laughs> no, my, my, my partner Joanne and, and I often talked about how we're going to do it and how it would be a good way of doing it, and um, and I want to do it. I'd love to do it. I mean, so many people have come up and said it would make a really good t- coffee table book or, you know, and I'd like to do, do that. I, yeah. you know, I mean, and I, you know, we often thought about, you know, do you take the best games over a period of years or do you just take one season? I mean, ideally if you, if you had, if last season they'd won the checker trade trophy and gone up, would have been a perfect yeah, it's good start to do. Isn't isn't it? Isn't but it? But it could have because it finished so, Dismally and miserably. Well, you could, yeah, you, you it could was, do it and see it's a book, the book form of something. Yeah, it's I my mean, diary. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could do it. I mean, I think you know you do a sort of a simulation of a selection of games from that season, yeah. selection of games from this season, um, and then of course there are games in the Premier. But what I did start doing was hand drawing the crests, foolishly because um, so you've got to do it. For I've got to do it for every single game, and I didn't. <laughs> you know, you, you start doing these things and you think, oh, all right, I've got to do this for every game now, but. Um, because I used to sort of just photocopy the crest, cut it out, and stick it in in the yeah, book. Which is what I would have done. Which is the, which was the easy solution and the simple solution, and would have saved me hours of time. But then I did one drawing of a crest, and then that, like you say, once you've done one, you can't stop. You, you become beholden to do every single one. At least when you've done the one, you know that you can photocopy that one from then on yeah, yeah. so you know just, just league, one, league one this season not has not been as tortuous as it was last season because yeah, i've because been able to photocopy of last, a lot of last season's crests but yeah that, but again you know it becomes a sense of pride again that they are the whole page is hand hand drawn and and on average how long do the tick like is it monday to friday it got, I usually set aside um a morning at work yeah. to do the template to do the crest if i need to do the crest um and then later in the, you know, maybe the following morning I might um, fill in the, the team from the previous game for the opposition and so on. But I mean, overall, it's probably, I'd say, uh, as an average, it's probably five to six hours work for each game. It's a and thing of beauty. So, but that, yeah, you know, but that can, I mean, sometimes, like, say, you, if I drew the Co- Coventry City Crest, the Lincoln City Crest, or something like that, that alone could take an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you then add on the rest of it. So. Yeah. They've had to rip many pages out. Like no, I've never had. To, I've never know. had to rip a page out. That's that. That's but, a, that's a feat. I'm itself. terrified. I'm always terrified of being in a stand where there's no protection and it being rained on and completely ruined. Yeah. Or as it happened at Southampton, uh, Benno gave me a bolty pie, which half of it <laughs> found its way onto the page. So now it's this cheers, lovely, cheers, yellow, lovely yellow stain across the uh, 
across the page. It's part, part of but the it's part and parcel. Yeah, that was what happened on the day. You know, because so you, after you all, remember that because yeah, you look at it's, it. It's, you a go, working, well, that's when it's a working notebook. It's it is a it is a working notebook. That's what it is essentially. It's my favourite thing about you. So. No, no offence, of course. I should walk around like culture. walk around like this fancy dress. You know, I'm wearing a notebook around me. Halloween, Halloween idea, isn't it? Get tweed to get Harris tweed. The, to write some of your notebook well I mean the beauty is now I discovered that Lectern the, the company the notebook company do these notebooks slightly bigger than A4 so they're absolutely perfect for team sheets yeah apart from I mean there are club, obviously clubs now that do the small A5 team sheets yes um, but if do. you have an, you know most teams do an A4 team sheet and before when you used the notebook they always used to slightly overlap the page and that was it. That irritated me. I was really annoying. That was just, annoying. Little, was just annoying, you know. Yeah. But now the lectern's great because you can fit the whole team sheet in snugly. Does anybody in monitor as well? It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Does yeah, anybody else? Nice. Um, anybody else do that the, sort the, of thing? Well, it's strange because I know a couple of commentators um, um, who do the keep copious notebooks, but um, nothing com- as beautiful as yours. Well, they, to me, some of them are. Um, that there's one of the Sky commentators. Um, is it Alistair Mann? Anyway, he, he, I mean, I don't know how he reads his notes because the, his handwriting is so small. It's, it's incredible how much information he gets on the page and is able to read it. Now my eyesight's deteriorating. I have to have it about sort of, you know, <laughs> 20 font, you know, because it's the only way I can read it. Um, but his is in like one font is one and it's so small. But to me, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. I look at his notes and, I, and when I see him, I think, wow. I said, how do you, I, I always look at your notes and how do you read these? And, it must take you hours to do them, you know. And so every commentator has their own way of setting up. I mean, I set my notes up so they're practical for me during the game as well. So I've got a work of, you know, I've got a reference on the left, the previous opposition team and the notes, the biographies of the players. And the right-hand page, I've got where I write my notes for the day's game. So it works. Yeah, when I, was, when I was looking through it, I did see some of your frustrating points. Oh, where there's, there's, there's... I mean, you know, as, as much as you try and keep the match day notes neat, that sometimes it's just a scrawl and you can see dashes f- across the light. Yeah, you, know, you can see how fuming you are yeah, sometimes. Yeah, because you're trying to write at the same time as commentate mark. and sometimes you're trying to get quite a lot of detail down in what's just happened so you remember it later. And yeah. So that, that can be a bit annoying. So obviously since you started uh, with Sunderland, you've been with Gary Bennett, Sunderland legend. Mm. Um, we, we mentioned it before, he does tend to get excited in games. Um, has, he ever, <laughs> has he ever gave you like you know a really funny moment or a moment where you just went, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, oh, there's been plenty of those, and I'm trying to think what would have been one of them. There was one I'm always remember. Someone was joking about it at work recently because you know how all the rubbish swirls around on the um, pitch of the stadium. Oh, yeah, it's a famous point. I, went, I once once was referring to that, and I said it's you know it's like a vortex, and there's a silence. And Benno goes, "Yeah, it's like things going round and round in a circle." <laughs> Bless him. And uh, so I picked up on that at work, and forever. I don't know. I've, I've never dared mention it to Ben actually because didn't want to offend him. <laughs> it, it is nice to have someone so absorbed in the club because you can tell he still loves. Oh, he, lo- he lives yeah. and breathes it for all his frustrations, you know. And I know people people's chalk and cheese in, in a lot of ways. I, one thing about Benno is he lives and breathes every game. Yeah, he re he, he's got a brilliant intuition when it comes to reading a, ma- a football match. He will, if you listen, he will instinctively 
second guess a manager when the substitution should be made or he should he will be saying you should be making a substitution now or mm. he will do this and he would invariably gets the substitutions absolutely spot on he can read a game he's a very good coach actually um it's always there work with the youths and yeah he works with um he works with a couple of university teams now and the, and the ladies team and his ladies team's just about to win their league again um his university team just won a cup last week and is invariably you know so of course to show the there's, there's something he's a, there. and when he was darlington coach um you know his, his his record was good actually and it all ended there for whatever reason but he actually was doing well with Darlington That's he's a very everything. he's a very good coach and a very good reader of the game yeah so he, he's very good to have alongside you in, in that situation and you know at times I wish he'd talk a bit more uh, <laughs> instead and, of just and give, us the, and give us the benefit of that brilliance but when he does you know he's, he's spot on but like, like I see he's so absorbed and for all of his frustrations I don't think BBC Newcastle match days would be the same well he got it, the, the, the cough thing is funny because I had a bad cough recently and it nagged at me away this virus for a month or so and I was it was quite bad and you I was coughing. starting it weren't you? I, know, I was, <laughs> I was probably, I'm probably as, uh, the initiator of this, this whole worldwide pandemic. I was, pandemic. I was in Wuhan in but, November. Um, <laughs> so I would cough during a game and poor old Benno was getting everyone crucifying him for coughing and it wasn't it was, it was me <laughs> and it was all on the basis that it couldn't possibly be me because I was commentating but in fact it was and so recently at Portsmouth he'd had it that was it he'd had enough because someone came on and mentioned it. And he said, it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> oh. Bless him. I will say he did give me last season one of my favourite moments supporting Sunderland. Um, I was ill for the Portsmouth game at home when we drew 1-1. And me dad was like, oh, do you want to bet on him? I'll have Ozturk first goal. And we scored for about 10th minute or something. Mm. And you're like, it's a goal, isn't it? And he went, oh, Turk. And he just went, it's Tom Flanagan. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like we had a, yeah. oh. we, no, we've had the moment like that before. We were at Hull a few years back. And um, it was, uh, what's the lad who went to, Connor Wickham. Um, I was sure Connor Wickham had, had scored. I was absolutely positive. But as soon as I said Connor Wickham, Benno went, whoever. I thought, well, hang on a minute, start self-doubting then. And he's going, yeah, well, and he kept on about how it was. And I said, mm, are you sure? Yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nailed, absolutely <laughs> nailed on, nailed on, nailed on, carried on for about a minute. And then the stadium announcer came out and the girls going, Connor Wickham. And I said, why don't I just, why don't I just trust my judgment? Why don't I think, I'm sure it's Connor Wickham. Gone with Connor Wickham. <laughs> if I but he managed to convince me it wasn't. And then the stadium announcer, Connor Wickham. <laughs> it's like when the players don't injure, you have caught your side. Is that all nine? Uh, yeah, it's no, difficult. That difficult. Like That's one of the other, yeah, uh, the, you listen back through commentaries and there we have had long conversations going back basically through the whole team before we actually <laughs> yeah. realised we've been wrong. Because <laughs> it's from so the start now you know. as well. It's, 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 it's staying like it's impossible. It's yeah. a horrible position to commentate from now because you are too far away from it. You do have to rely on um, little things like colour of boots. Uh, even the way that a player, their stance, the way they hold themselves to, to, to really try and nail. If there's, if there's a bundle in the penalty area, you forget it. Yeah. Because you just haven't got a prayer that high. It's one of seven. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a horrible height. I don't try understand and why they did that. Out. I really well, don't. It, it, I, I can, I know the reasons why. Um, but it's it's not a great working mm. environment. Wasn't Martin O'Neill wanted to move them as well? No, it wasn't. I mean, it was literally to do with, I mean, there were a couple of reasons. I mean, one was that where we used to be in the paddock, which was a brilliant position, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, they're expensive seats. You know, they're, they're, they're seats that the, the club could sell yeah, yeah, yeah. and make quite yeah. a lot of money on. And, and they are having to expand the press spots because UEFA for rules meant you had to have an X number of seats. Mm -hmm. And here's all the press sitting them free, you know, that they're not making any income from them. So they so they're, therefore, 
move the press. But you think, well, be logical about this, move them somewhere, which is still a practical position. Mm -hmm. But no, you can't sell the seats at the top of the West Stand. That's yeah. a good place to put you. So, you know, that's, that's, I mean, I remember Aston Villa did the same. Aston Villa moved the press box. We used to be at the back of the old stand. It was horrible. It was, it was quite high up in the back. The roof dripped and leaked and um, it, it wasn't a great position. So they, what they did was moved, to, moved the press into the middle of the stand, the main stand, when they rebuilt the stand. Brilliant. It was the best press box we'd ever been in. Perfect facilities. And then they realised, of course, actually, we could sell the seats there yeah. for, and they moved the press box to the left mm -hmm. and we're down, you know, Villa, now you're down one end by the tunnel. Um, so you know, clubs do it for they, they don't they don't build press boxes for altruistic reasons. Yeah. Manchester United's got an awful press box, as has Everton. Um, and yeah, there's always know, the pillar. Isn't you always hear that. The on pillar, the, always, there's the pillar. a pillar in the way. There's no room for you to sit. You're cramped in this really tiny sort of aisle um, with barely anywhere to put your equipment or anything. And Old Trafford is not much different. You know, they've, they've squeezed everybody in. They've yeah. expanded it a little bit in the last couple of years. But again, it's, it's, like it's still a level bad. anyway. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like, you know, the, the Man United are making 800 and something billion a year or whatever, but won't, you know, allow a few more, a bigger press box and a better working environment. Yeah. You go to some of the others and, you know, you go to Arsenal and, I've not been to the new Tottenham one, but I'm told it's very good. I'd love to go. You, you go to those. Uh, yeah, I don't think we'll ever, I'm ever going to get to Tottenham in my lifetime now. You never oh, don't, don't say <laughs> things like that. But, um, but you go to. Um, um, the cup. Well, <laughs> Arsenal was a funny one because the Emirates, the, the girl who used to be the press officer there, Amanda, she's not there now, but when they built the stadium, the, they, they, they came to her and said, Well, what do you want from a press media perspective at the, at the Emirates? So she thought, Well, I play this a bit canny. If I ask for everything I could possibly want, they may get I offered. might get half. Of yeah. it. She got the lot. Oh well, wow. they did. They didn't didn't um, balk on anything. No scrim. So they've got a fantastic press box, an enormous media room, and off the media room, there's a, a small post match theatre which is holds I don't know how many people. Then you go out into a corridor where there's seven or eight television rooms. And then the tunnel and everything else. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Just, it always reminds me of a business park every time you go past on King's Cross because you see. It yeah, it, it's just like a football it, it, I mean, it's an amazing it. stadium. Although you know now, even the Emirates, in a way, it starts to feel a bit dated. You know, because mm -hmm. you know the new Tottenham Stadium and Wembley and. Um, How old's the Emirates? Oh, about twenty year old. Yeah, ish. Might, you might be right. I'm trying to think. It would be, wouldn't it? It, it was so... just. It was getting built when we went down with the 19 points because I don't know. It was I think it was now getting on 17, were... 18 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Cause... And now you and you look at it now. And you realise how small Highbury was when you see Highbury. I remember when it was being built, you'd be sitting in Highbury and there's this enormous, like, great spaceship yeah. looming out of the yeah. out of um, Holloway, you know, and it's extraordinary. But, it, it, you know, that starts to, you know, as, move, as football's move. But again, you know, you, you, I, I always find every time I've been to the, the Emirates, I, I don't think the atmosphere is great there. I never no. felt no. it's been a good atmosphere. Because everyone's sat and down I don't, and Yeah, and I don't it? think it's a good atmosphere at Old Trafford. It's very rare that we've... I think, I think the, been, the been best atmosphere is when you're uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look like at Rooker Park, no one was ever comfortable. I used to love, Park. I mean, I like Craven Cottage and I liked, I used to love Highbury and there's old Even Stan, the old Stamford Bridge. When yeah, Stamford there, Bridge was, was there was a bit more, even Goodison, for all the, you know, deficiencies of the press box, I, I like yeah. Goodison Park as a stadium. Villa Park but as well, it used to be. Villa's, yeah, Villa's a great, you know, there's a good atmosphere there. So, um, 
but the days of um, fine dining at Stamford Bridge and Yenrich <laughs> are now over. We, yeah. It's now pot noodles at Accrington Stanley and <laughs> pie vouchers at Rotherham. It's sort of There's a... some R8 League ones, but there is some bad ones. Happening. Oh, I, I, yeah, I've got nothing against League One games. I actually really enjoy. I mean, the, the, the flip side of it's been, yeah, it's it's horrible that Sunderland are where they are. But there is, um, I've really enjoyed covering football again in League One. I mean, you know, it, it reminded me all the years I was at Carlisle. The, the, there's a real camaraderie at clubs and clubs can't go, they, they go out of their way to be friendly and there's no no media circus there. They, you know, for all, they are painfully aware of their, you know, deficiencies in terms of facilities. And and so they, they bend over backwards to accommodate you and try and make things work for you. I mean, Accrington Stanley is an example. There's a, there's a woman there. She writes the programme. She has to deal with the referees. She has to deal with the press. She has to deal with all the secretary, football secretary duties. And yet every time we've been there, can I get you a cup of tea? Have you got everything you want? Is everything in the press box all right? Can I get you team? When do you want? Do you want to speak to the referee? And bending over backwards to, 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 to make it work. To make it work. The young lad at Fleetwood. He was on work experience, basically. It's not Joey Bartlett. No, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I, for all the Joey but, but for, we, we we arrived at Fleetwood and you go around the back and you go in a little little office at the back of the stand and it's like a few sandwiches laid out, and cans of Coke underneath the desk and a little laptop open and the press pass is bundled in next to the sandwiches or whatever. And there's this young lad of 20 in his suit and he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, a year's secondment from... Uh, Salford University or something yeah. it's work experience on the press office here this season and so what can I get you what can I do for you and can I get you a coffee yeah off he goes finds a kettle and comes back <laughs> um, but again really wanted everything he, he just want. and the funny thing is we we go up to the press box and uh, he said oh it's going to be it's, it's going to be really it's going to be really busy tonight we've worked today we've, we've even got the Sunday sun here and he thought the Sunday sun was the, the sun, Sunday yeah. sun. Yeah, the of course the world it's not. Sun. It's the yeah. northeast Sunday sun. And sort of thing. He's like, oh, yeah, we've got the Sunday sun here. And he was really excited. <laughs> but um, but there is this sort of, um, you, you know, you go most places and, and they do, Scunthorpe's maybe a bit of an exception. But um, it's strange. But, it, it, you know, on the whole, everywhere you go, you know, they, they realise they haven't got. The funniest was when we were at um, Port Vale last year in the Cup, we arrived there and I think Benno found the first few months of the season a bit challenging because he's used to going into Premier League or Championship press rooms and there's food and TVs and he can watch the match before and, and then all of a sudden you Bless get him. to you get to <laughs> Glanford Park and there's not even a press room, you know, so the chance of, you know, any sort of relative comfort is gone. So we get to Port Vale and um the press press officer there again, someone who doubles up as doing everything. Benno said to him, Oh, where's where's the press room? And going, Oh, um, Looked a bit puzzled. They went back through the double doors. It's over the over the fork, over over the concourse, over the concourse. Back through the double doors. Benno disappears through these double doors, and then the minute he comes back with this look of horror on his face, and I said, I said, he goes to the press office and says, "Where did you say it was?" The guy, yeah, through the double doors, and then, so he vanishes. And a couple of minutes later, I go out, and he stood in the middle of the concourse, looking like he's just seen a ghost. <laughs> and I said, "Well, what's wrong?" And he said, "Have you seen the press room?" I said, "Well, no, because you were going to find." He says, "It's that room." And he, you look across and you go in and it's the, basically the caretaker's cupboard oh, <laughs> with a, with a tea urn. And it was just, he was, he was in shock 
horror. This sort of this is this is as low as it could possibly get for him. And I thought, Christ, you know, honestly, we're only, we're only a couple of months into the season. This is, you know, how, where are we going to go with this? Oh, but, I bet he'd um, kill for it for Saturday. Honestly, so yeah, and I think, and the funny thing was, at the end of the season, I think there was a real part of him. I sensed that he wasn't going to. Um, I think he. I, he sort of hinted that he was going to pick and choose his games this year. But I think then when I said, okay, right, okay, which games do you not want to do? Because I'll get, I'll ask Danny Collins or Stephen Elliott to do them. I think it thought, oh, hang on a minute, don't want someone else taking my place sort of thing. And um, he hasn't missed a game. So now whether, if they don't go up next season, you know, this season, I'd, I'd... that'd be another challenge. Can't deal with a cold. You know, it's, oh, we can deal with that now because he's got a rug. He bought me one actually. <laughs> and he wraps himself up in it. He looks like some banshee, you know, <laughs> he's wrapped in his rug and his, you know, in his heavy, in his coat and everything. And uh, so he makes sure he's warm. Proper hero. I can guarantee though at the end of the season, he'll go, right, we'll come back. <laughs> I, I did that at the end of the, yeah. end of the last season of, on the train back. Absolutely devastated. Saying, I'm not going back anymore. I've missed two games. This I, it was funny because I think, um, so many fans I spoke to said I'm not renewing my season card. In fact, they got more, didn't they? The, the number went up. I think it's this old. We, you, we you, can't you, help you it, can we? Yeah, I don't think you can. I think if you're a true football fan, you 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 can't help yourself. It's you you. you and I think it's, I think it's interesting now because of this break, how um, it's almost like a national disaster. Yeah. Not the mm-hmm. pandemic. The, the lack of the lack of football. Yeah. Lack of a game. I, I mean, we, yeah. we we felt it. We went. I mean, how desperate are things? Come, we went to Ikea on Saturday. Oh, no. Um, and, and we were joking that this is like, is this what normal people do on a, <laughs> on a, on a weekend? I mean, this is the, these people, are, these are all normal people. They go, they come to Ikea. And Did it anyone felt, panic and it by any really, uh, No, it was just really straight. I mean, funny enough, it was quieter than uh, the normal, because you're wondering. But it was it was a weird feeling. And, and then you only, you, you appreciate then that there are hundreds, there are thousands of people for whom, it is an absolute ritual going to the game yeah. on a Saturday. Not just the match, the build-up, everything they do, whether it be getting on the bus, meeting Bob, going for a pint, going for a pie, and and that is it. it and it's in a strange way, football fans are institutionalised. Yeah. The result doesn't matter half the time, it, does it? No, it and it's and it's it's part of the ritual of going. And um, I had this long conversation again. I was saying, going back to. I'm, Sorry, I'm referring back to this interview about Carlisle, but we were talking about why this day at Wembley was so big for Carlisle United. And I equated it in a way to the Man City League Cup final. It wasn't so much about the result because I think we all in our back of our minds and hearts knew that we weren't going to beat Manchester City. Yeah. You know, you have this well, hope. We when did Fa- win one or when Fabio, when we went one up, you're thinking, right, okay, maybe that this is the. But you almost, almost went thinking, this is more about the day out and the occasion. And that was the same with Carlisle in 95. And it came round to the fact of what it meant was that for that season, because Carlisle won promotion, they won the championship and fourth division championship. They they won, they lost the final of the trophy, the autoglass as it was then on the golden goal. And there were 77,000 at Wembley and it was a fantastic day out. But it proved to everybody in Carlisle that it was a, it was a community thing. Yeah. The whole city came out. The whole, you know, virtually that that was the population of Carlisle turned up <laughs> at Wembley that day. And the camaraderie of that was something you can't put your finger on. And that is why I think this pandemic now and what it's doing is so devastating because what football gives everybody is this national camaraderie. You know, whether it's, you know, and it's slightly, 
been diluted a little bit over the last few decades because games kick off at stupid times all over the weekend and that has diluted what was fundamentally this fantastic three, three o'clock on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there'll be lots of people. Put the I mean, on. I'm old enough, yeah, to remember you'd, you'd get home and put the final score on and yeah. the video printer and all those Teletext. things. Teletext. Everything, because it was a part and parcel of the day, you yeah. know. And and I went to games and, and at Exeter and you'd come back from pour, the pouring rain, soaked through and they'd lost 3-0 didn't matter yeah well, the, was, the best it, the best line the i've ever heard is why let the football ruin a weekend yeah. of football and yeah. and up here especially it's a it's a big talking point i mean i don't think i can only think the only place i could equate it two places i could equate it with a glasgow and liverpool that it's the only place you can think of where people will talk football all week yeah and really look forward to the Oh, it's the entire region as well, though. I mean, yeah, and it's not just you know Newcastle, not just Sunderland. Yeah. It's, it's because it's in it, it's of in ingrained. It's in the blood. It's yeah. sort of a generational thing that gets passed on. I think it's great. You know, I think it's great that kids. I love it when I see these stories about parents taking their son or daughter to the game for the first time, and because that's so important. That it's, it's just so important because you know ultimately they're the ones that are gonna. Get the bug and keep going and keep it going. And mine didn't. Mine here didn't. It was too <laughs> cold. <laughs> when you took them to the box. Yeah, we went yeah. to the box. There's a there's a the, bo- the, the both the both autistic. I've got autistic twin boys. Um, and they, they we went to a box. It's like a box for autistic children. Oh yes, yeah, it's no, well, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. greatest experience I've ever had. Yeah, because like, I get warm if I want to do and watch the match on the yeah, telly. Yeah, the shippies they've done a fantastic job with that. Yeah, I mean that is another thing. Look. That's another thing about Sunderland. That just, just you're bringing blow. all of the community I'm going to blow together. A few society, the, 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 the Shippy campaign with all that. Um, Joanne next to me, Joanne Youngston, and the BLC and the the mind, uh, the mental health hub at the club on a Saturday, which is now getting national attention. Yeah. Now, As it you know, f- well, for all the, you know, people can knock Sunderland. Those campaign that you know that for autism and the mental health, those things alone, to to start those. In Sunderland is is absolutely fantastic. He's, he's, I think you he's know it's easy to not football sometimes, but sometimes it can come out with some, you know, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the lad aspects. who's doing that is um, he's trying to get it into every football stadium yeah. in the country. He's currently got it in fourteen, so a box in fourteen different stadiums for autistic people alone is pretty cool. Yeah, and there's yeah, a, yeah, it's, it's a full I century the, box. I remember the pride when they got it into you know Watford and wherever else to, 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 to start with, and other clubs started looking at it and and doing it and. You know, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and you know that 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 again, that's come out from football. People wanting, you know, everybody to enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, and as it should be, it's a game there for yeah. everybody and, to and, enjoy. And it shouldn't just be for all the things that are wrong. And there's so many things that are wrong with you know the game and crowds. Sometimes there's a lot. There's a lot of good, and that tends sometimes to get swallowed up in. Yeah, it gets gets in forgotten the bad. by the yeah. result, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> exactly. It's so. so, so well, Sorry, Sorry, I was I was, I was just going to ask Nick what he's been doing um, to sort of fill the void. Well, I luckily, like I had actually taken leave this week because it would have been Barry at the weekend. I thought well, this is a good time to so use up take leave, anyway, leave. So yeah. I took leave. Um, heaven knows what I'm going to do next week when I go back to work. But I think you know, like everybody, I've got to go back in, and and quite you know, I'm being practical. We're looking at the next three months is not going to have any football. I'm going to have to, I think, rejig my leave for the summer because I'm, I'm, my gut feeling is that we will probably get football again in June, July, maybe July, August. Um, and so therefore I'll just take my leave earlier. And what we do with the days I haven't got leave 
you know, we try and fill our time. Percy and Joanne's got some rooms that need doing around the house, <laughs> some shelves that need putting up. But personally, I'm no, I'm no good at DIY. I'll put it, put it straight. It's, it's only been a fortnight, and I've uh, I've brought myself down to watching other people play football on the it's, computer. That's it's, how it's, bad it's getting for me. It would be very interesting, but I, I just hope it doesn't. I mean, there's a school of thought that when it comes back, everyone will be so excited because we've hadn't had any sport that will get a spike in crowds. I just hope hope it it, it doesn't last so long that people actually start finding other things to do, which become routine. Because I know in the past, um, when someone relegated in 2003, I had friends who were season card holders, season ticket holders then, who stopped going. And they basically said, we found other things to do on Saturday afternoons. And we don't miss not going, yeah, because they were fed up with all the losing and it was awful. And, it, and you know, so so there is there is a there's a danger that um, a prolonged absence or a prolonged spell without sport or and people will find other things to do on the Saturday afternoon and then decide actually I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now and quite not enjoy darts in the pub, which is yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll be as uh, as marked here because I think the fan base at Sunderland is too strong and. Yeah. The position Sunderland are in at the minute, but I can see it happening in other clubs. Yeah, like sort of like the rugby towns. I, I, and things yeah, like I mean yeah. Norwich cities of this world. Or I mean, no disrespect to Norwich, but you get a feeling when you go to Norwich, the crowd dynamic is completely different to. Yeah, I mean, they've always dynamic. been the nicest fans when they yeah, come up here. You, know, you, you can get a sense of that at some clubs, and um, as I say, I think the fan base is too strong up here, but. I don't think there's a danger nationwide that there could be aspects of that yeah, in other places. They'll have to do something to try and yeah. keep in interest. Definitely. And let's like you said, it's just it's like when we were on about like going to IKEA and stuff, I mean, my Saturday was just horrible. It was just, I was it's like pre season when there's no Euros or World Cup on. <laughs> it's, it's just nothing. Just waiting nothing for there. football is just, just rubbish friendly. And you know, I mean my girlfriend's trying to say, Oh, do you want to go for a walk? Wherever lovely place. We went to Anik actually. Um Lovely players, Anik. Uh, got the three o'clock. Like, what the fuck you scores? I should, yeah, I should be putting me six hundred thousand to one accumulator. On, you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, on this. yeah it's a, I mean, weird, wasn't it? That racing was going on with no crowds because the yeah. betting side of it, and yeah, even that stuff. Oh, that's, that's gone that's now, wasn't it? Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously, you know, it's for the, the greater good, and we hope yeah, it's, it's all sorted well, out. Well, we, I mean, look, this is a once in a lifetime happening. We hope. Yeah. I mean, you know, be. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, the, the, all these references back to the Second World War and that, you know, that there's a generation obviously that grew up in that and who now are coping with this in a completely different way to yeah. the way we are, because we never experienced the hardship of the Second World War. And, and it's undoubtedly, I suspect, you know, it, it would be true to say that it was harder and the hardships were greater then than they are now oh, for indeed. us. Yes, yeah. You know, the sacrifices we're making at the moment are... Nothing, I think, is compared to the sacrifices. So you can understand why older people are so um, stoical about this. You know, I speak to my mother and she's like, what was her phrase today? I think it's all a bit over the top. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, no, hang on a minute. Hey, let's just put it in perspective. But um, I do think there is that element to it now. But I do think, you know, this is this is so exceptional. I mean, I've never encountered anything. Oh, it's a scary time, isn't like it? Like this in 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 my life, you know, and and it's the just, fact that the whole country has to shut yeah, down. Yeah, just the shutdown aspect yeah. of it all, and you know, you can be living in, you, you can be at home, and you can be doing normal things, and then you put the telly on, and suddenly it says, "Well, forty tube stations are shut now." Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and then an hour later, you put it on, or a day later, you put it on again. Oh, now there's 
you can't do this, or you can't do that. It's like and today I've had a relatively normal day, apart from when I went shopping. So you it's, go, it's, you go it's, shopping. You suddenly throw you're suddenly thrown into unusual situations. Yeah. And, you know, I went yeah. to the supermarket, and then it hits you that all the shelves are empty. Yeah, yeah. Were and yet the car park the was area. full, and, and yeah. there seemed to be total normality until you get in the shop. Yeah, it was madness. And I couldn't was, believe it. I mean, I, I was you know I was in Edinburgh yesterday, and it was weird. It was a ghost town. Yeah, and probably ironically the safest place to be because there was nobody around. Yeah. And yet, you know, you're on a train with six people. There were more staff at Newcastle Station than there were passengers. Mm-hmm. And But all the trains are running as normal. Everything's running as yeah. normal. And yet you're sitting in a totally abnormal situation. <laughs> and you crazy, sit there trying to get... Then the, the, And the guards coming on the train, or train manager, I should say, on the way back, say, encouraging people not to go on the train. Yeah. Actually in, in, imploring you not to get trains. And yet treating you totally normally on the train as though nothing's wrong, normal service, and welcome you back on board. The next, and you think, um, it was just really weird. It's, it's such a really surreal experience. Um, my, my job outside of this uh, ridiculously lucrative job is, uh, no, is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bus driver literally just down the road, and um, I deal with the elderly every day. And I, I mean, so, but you have to carry on totally normally, yeah, contact I, with people every day, driving yeah. the bus... It's been on a, no on drop a of service normal service. Yeah. I just find it, 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 it. I mean, I just think there's some very conflicting. We are getting political now, aren't we? Yeah. I, mean, I, just, <laughs> I just thought since this morning there was a very conflicting messages sometimes. Like the, the government's coming out with, um, we don't want you travelling on public transport in London, but we're not shutting. Yeah, London we're not going to close it. Yeah. And you're more than happy to That's travel. That's probably because it's mostly private run as so, opposed so, to. So what are you saying? Are, are, are you? What is the message there? If if, if you really are concerned about traveling on public transport then you shouldn't you shouldn't be telling people that you know yes we're not shutting london down and you can travel normally yeah so it's like they've said they've told everybody over 70 to uh, remain in the homes for uh, 12 weeks yet uh, today we've just um allowed over 70s to travel whenever they want at yes. any time which is a really good thing yeah, for them, and, and, and i saw there. i've seen more elderly people out than anybody yeah oh yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> so it's, they're the only people traveling yeah, at the moment think, <laughs> you know this is weird. This is, someone's going to write an amazing novel at some point when yeah, it's all over. It's going to sell. Well it's going to be a real, a dystopian novel that's going to be an absolute <laughs> bestseller because it's got all the ingredients. That's all I've all I've read uh, about six years prior to to, to now is uh, post apocalyptic novels, and uh, I'm terrified of everything now. As soon as <laughs> well, I read this, t- I mean, there is a, this this talk, isn't it, about you can over egg things and yeah. actually put fear into people's minds about the situation when there's not probably any yeah there may be justifiable reasons for you to be afraid but if you over egg it you actually encourage people to do the opposite of what you want them to do yeah so that you could walk this fine line so i do i do understand it's it's, it's difficult and 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 because really we're all in the we're totally in the dark because we've just got no idea how it's going to Let's just bring Pan back out. just bring back football. Everything well, at fine. least in well, this winter, in this winter break, I've just called. At least in this break, in this enforced break, um, on April the first, we have something until I die season two coming on. Oh, well, I tell you what, so, it couldn't have come out at a better time, could it? You know, they've they pitched it well. I wouldn't be surprised they're behind the whole thing because they knew they get more viewers. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, the whole thing about sport, though. I mean, you know, stop mass gathering, stop people. You know, football was one prime example where you could see yes, there was sense in stopping it because. Like the other weekend, we had however many hundreds travelled up from Kent to Sunderland and how many travelled from Newcastle to Southampton. Now, well, there's a surefire way to spread, mm-hmm. you know, a virus. Well, okay, how do you go over that, get away with that? We don't have, you have the away fan ban. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's unfair, 
but it was practical because you are containing everybody in your specific areas. But none of that was ever mentioned. It was a sort of panic reaction. And you know that as soon as one body makes decision, that all the others are going to have to the line. They've got to do it. So yeah. will you be watching uh, something until I die too? Yeah, because I, I, so. apparently, I, I will. Apparently, I'm told the quote, "My gobs all over it." Oh, champion! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh no, I'll be fascinated to see because I'm, um, the two series I think will be very different because the two directors worked in very different ways. Yeah, it'd be very uh, interesting to see yeah, Methven uh, and Donald. Working. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's clearly going to be about uh, it's going to be heavily about them because yeah. the characters they are it's less episode as well and so yeah and it's been done episode. i think richard, richard who um richard who directed this produced this series was very mindful of the continuity issues in the last series and um it's very chronological from what i've been told um so you know you've got one episodes one and two then i think three or four one of those two is the wembley Check a trade. Yeah, that's goes, that's, that's the one I don't watch. To, okay. um, the, the season panning mm-hmm. out, but in a chronological order, and hopefully the continuity is much more organised, and um, they've sort of not made those same errors again. Richard was very methodical in the way he directed and produced it. Suits, who did the last series, was much more um, throw the cards in the air, let's mm-hmm. see where they land, and, the, and watch the relationships, and um, much more. I think. Um, Character driven in the sense that he, that I think, he had a very good relationship with the players, and yeah, mm-hmm. um, especially the players who weren't even here when, yeah. they, when it was released. It was a... so I think, so I think the dynamic was very different, um, and it will be a very different series. But again, I think it'll be fascinating because of what people will see that go that went on behind the scenes. It's this strange um, situation with the last series that everyone was watching the championship season pan out and go horribly wrong. And, you know, it's condemnation of this or condemnation of that. And then a year later, you watch Sunderland Until I Die. I think, oh, really? Was that what was was going on? Oh, I didn't realise that was going on. Which is a shame in a way that that couldn't run concurrently. So you could have a better perspective. Going back to what you were saying earlier about how you uh, are opinion formers, if you like. And and that run concurrently as a fly on the wall documentary going out the week after a game or whatever... And I think then the perception of what was going on or what is going on at the football club would have been completely different. But because it's football in the it, yeah, it, because it's football and it's taken a year and a half to edit and put together, and yeah. now it comes out. You know, it all seems such a dim and distant memory. But I think at the same time, it would be quite illuminating. Well, the, the only issue I've got with it, and I've mentioned this on a pod recently, is you know what's happening at the end. It's like watching like a really good action film, knowing that. The hero's going to die at the end. Yeah. I, I just don't... Yeah, I, I, I only think... I think I will watch because it, it has come in this break and it's going to be watching... I just want again. I just want to have a little cry. It's like watching Marley and Me again, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, exactly, it's exactly that. It's, it, it's, I, I, look, it'd be fascinating because we're all... You know, we all basically want to see it because it's Sunderland and yeah. you want to know how it's portrayed, the club's portrayed, people are portrayed and and you want it to be... You don't want it to give them... You know, you want it to give the, a good impression of, again, of the... I think for all the, you know, the things that went horribly wrong, with in the first series, people loved it. People yeah, I talked to from across not the even like loads of not Sunderland fans, loved just it. loads of people. Football fans, everybody. Over, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, all all the all my fellow commentators, you know, reporters I saw around the country, thought it was fantastic. That was a, I mean, I was it at was Bristol. a great documentary. It was. I mean, I was at Bristol the other week, you know, and the, the Richard from Radio Bristol then said, "Oh, you know, is this second series coming out?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Oh, that's first series was fantastic. It. it was fantastic." Oh, good well, we see because they look forward to it in a completely different 
their relationship with it is completely different to ours. Yeah, yeah. We, because what they're watching is this club in crisis yeah. that's falling apart and thinking, my God, thank God we've not, we, that could be us, you know. And, yeah. um, and, and they're looking in from the outside. We're looking out from the inside. So, you know, our relationship with the two series is completely different yeah, we'll from everyone else globally and nationally. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Trending number one on Netflix the first week it comes out, won't it? I mean, in, a, in, a, in an odd masochistic way, I'm quite looking forward to it just to see the Wembley again. I mean, yeah. although the results were appalling, the weekends, it's just the people. Yeah, oh. if they've done a good thing on that, obviously on the Trafalgar Square and stuff, that it will shed us in a lovely light and stuff. It's it's just like I said. Just, it but, just the football dra- so but the football pain. drama, you couldn't make it up, could you? No. Last no. second at the playoff final, you lose to Charlton, yeah. who beaten you you know 99 it's it, it's just it's almost so contrived it's poetic, you could sit down you could sit down and say this was made up by the producers yeah, definitely. if yeah, the producers had come film, to you at the beginning of the season said right this is what we're going to do you'd look at them and go you are absolutely bonkers there's no <laughs> way that is going to happen Sure enough, it happens because yeah. you know that's Sunderland. Kind of in so. our film, the hero dies halfway through. I know Josh Madden didn't die, but <laughs> if it was a Hollywood He's, film, the hero would die. He, he was, was sent away on a boat somewhere. Sent, yeah, poor, poor, poor but Josh. you couldn't make it up. Josh Madger, yeah. Will Grigg, Charlton, you know, all the ingredients. There's the narratives there, the narratives isn't it? There. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, if you can't make a good documentary out of that, then you, you don't deserve to. Be documentary makers, basically. Yeah, so that is out on April the first. Just for anyone who would like to watch it, yeah. like I say, I'll, I will end up watching it. I know for a fact I will, and cry all over again. It'll, it'll, kill, a, it'll kill a deer sometime, won't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Kill you. <laughs> Someone at work joked it's, it's it should be called Sunderland until it kills you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it slowly it's slowly is, isn't it? It's not wrong. Yeah, it slowly is. We're just living this life where Sunderland will eventually. It is the hope that kills you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll wrap it up a little bit now because we have been talking for nearly two hours, I think. So we? we're crapping on. So I do want to ask Nick one last question regarding your commentary, your greatest moments, spot like following Sunderland oh um, one of my worst moments well, I'll do best and worst if you want I'll do best and worst yeah. only because somebody, we were talking about the Carlos Edward goal against Burnley earlier at that moment we lost our line at the Stadium of Light as I'm watching Carlos Edwards smash in this unbelievable goal against Burnley our line went down and we couldn't get it back so it was like my I was just like God this is the worst thing that can possibly happen to you as a commentator um, but best moment I mean look you go back over Games, I look the 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 League Cup semi final win at Old Trafford. Yeah, that was that night was absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. The League Cup final to go to 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 Wembley in a you know senior final um, with Sunderland was was brilliant. I mean the result was disappointing, but to actually go there, a game the Derby games that run of Derby games, those wins. I mean the, the, the you know the Palo de Canio one. Um, the Defoe goal, the, the, all those were incredible, yeah. and I and I actually hate the build up to the derby. Uh, it's it's a week oh, I can oh, yeah, I really hate it, yeah. and I really want to get the game done, dusted over, move on. But those because of the result, because I think what you fear is losing, so you yeah. don't want you you don't want to be. That must be a commentator thing because we had Simon Crabtree on and he said exactly the same thing. He hated the build-up. Yeah, it's horrible. Love the and game, hate the build-up. Yeah, and you just want to get it out of the way. And oh, Do I hate but, the whole day? I hate Derby uh, day altogether. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I love I to be yeah, there and everything, but no. I, it's I mean, just... and it's a sort of weird, isn't it? Because the one fixture, as soon as they come out, you look for and <laughs> um, and all you know, the heightened build-up for the season is about that, that fixture. But it, from 
you know, professional working point of view. I hate it, hate it. I don't think it's going to happen for a while. But, no, it? it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it, how these things pan out? But um, those those wins were, well, I mean, remarkable, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, the states we were in. Yeah. In the... just, you know, there have been, been moments in, I mean, that I actually, you know, looking back, that 3-0 win at Stamford Bridge under Steve Bruce. Yeah. And albeit Chelsea, you know, probably weren't the best team it wasn't the best Chelsea team in the world at that time, but they still had a remarkable home record. And then Nida um, Manua danced through the defence. And to go through there and, and not concede a goal. And and I just felt for the poor, there were there a lot of Sunderland fans who decided not to go that day because of the ticket prices at Stamford Bridge yeah. and just felt, that's it, had enough, not going. And it brought up this whole dilemma of, you'll go and watch the team wherever, whatever, however much it costs because it's your team. Yeah. And you'd go in the fear that the one day you don't go with a day that you miss something. And that, that was and it. that was the moment yeah. I thought those supporters, they'll be kicking themselves. It'll be killing them because it'd be the one day they decided not to go when it happened. Yeah. yeah and that was such a big, big win. But it was the, the greatest <laughs> performance I think I've ever seen us have uh, in the past past 20 years anyway. That Chelsea performance was... was I yeah, mean, yeah, as you say, the, just the, the manner of it. And it didn't stand a chance, Chelsea. It was no, such a strange thing. Sort of, um, and the really greatest goal celebration ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not that's more John. No, that was Zendon. And yeah, yeah you know, you go to Goodison Park and lose 7-1. You go to... Chelsea lose seven two and he's and then and that Paolo Di Canio game we go to Aston Villa and Danny Rose scores and you think oh you're one nil up and then you go and lose six one yeah and yeah, yeah. Run what is on going on here you know but yeah football isn't it and very last question what are you doing this weekend what are you doing this weekend <laughs> no, I don't know what again I don't know it's all up in the air at the moment because uh, my sister was meant to be coming up from London but I think that's um, IKEA again. Uh, Way things are going, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> the meatballs are nice and I came uh, The dime cake. Uh, I had them last weekend. Lovely. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll wrap that up. Um also the Sunderland Food Bank does need your help. So if you have any, you know, leftover food, look, listen, he's been going everyone's been going out buying far too much of everything. If you've got anything left over, please, please, please take that down to Sunderland Food Bank. We know you have toilet roll. Exactly. It doesn't even matter, toilet roll, porridge, whatever, you know, because they're they're struggling, you know, in this Horrible time. They are struggling and they do a really, really good job for the for the region, really. Uh, we've got a link on our website. If you just want to click on that, we'll, uh, it'll take you to it where you can do some drop-offs. Um, yeah, Nick, thank you very much for coming. Pleasure. Yeah, Joanne, obviously, thank you so much. Been sitting there on your phone for an hour and a half, bless you. Word? <laughs> No, I just want to talk. Oh, bless her. It's like sooty and sweet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll actually say, um, I was obviously at the Fans Museum for the Fans International Net. F- fantastic. Brilliant night. Oh, I was at work. Thanks for that. Uh, it was great. So, yeah. Anth as well. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, work. I'm at work, yeah. work. Yeah, I am uh, driving a bus on Saturday. I'm, I'm off Sunday, but I'll be taking the kids somewhere. I imagine there do something go. fun. Um, thank you once again, uh, Johnny Rob, for oh, our pandemic in this. studio here at Deptford Sound. Deptford Sound. Feel right at home. We're going to order a pizza and play out some kind of game once we're finished. And also, um, coming from me, I am going to end with a kind of song lyrics i think it kind of just needs to be said for everyone in a world that is trying to lose its mind be more kind my friends try to be more kind thank you very much and good night like a beacon reaching out to you and yours from me and mine be more kind my friends try to be more kind 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.